Today's scripture lesson comes from the 13th chapter of the book of Luke, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising. Praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing in all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pause for a word of prayer. Gracious and holy God, <clears throat> you give this this time together, this precious moment, and we ask your words to be a part of this time, your presence, your, your hope. May the meditations of all of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing to you, O oh God. Amen. So this scripture story today is one of many healing stories on the Sabbath. And this is where Jesus willfully breaks the Sabbath commandment. Now the Sabbath commandment was very important to the people of Israel because... Are we good? Cool. Because it was, the, it was God that brought these people, the Israelite people, out of slavery. They were bound by slavery, and they cried to God, and God answered them, brought them out of slavery, brought them into the land of milk and honey, brought them into become God's people, right? So this is, the, this is what they're celebrating every Sabbath day of being unbound. And so what happens is that someone walks in and Jesus sees her as bound. Well, it makes sense to release someone because that's what we're here for. That's the Sabbath. That's what we're doing, right? But the Sabbath keeper, the Sabbath keeper didn't see it that way because, you know, when you have an institution, when you have groups of people together, you have to have rules and regulations, it just makes a social society, right, so we can live together. And, and here's this woman who's been bound for 18 years. Why couldn't she just come on another day? Why did he have to heal her right then? What was the purpose of doing that? 
Well, of course, you know Jesus has a purpose or he wouldn't have done it. And he did it more than once, so he definitely had a point to make. And his point was that this Sabbath keeping was becoming too restrictive. It was missing the point. The point was there to celebrate. And what, a, what better example or testimony of this celebration than to have this woman who was bound be released right in front of them to be able to stand up and praise God in a way that she hadn't been able to do in 18 years. 18 years, why would you wait another minute? The other thing about this story that I love, one, is one of many, right? But this particular healing on the Sabbath has a woman in it. Now, okay, you know, lots of women in church today, no big deal, right? But at that time, it was legally defined that women were chattel. They were personal property. They even argued about whether women really had a soul or not. And so here's Jesus healing this woman as he would anybody and calling her the daughter of Abraham and chastising them and saying, you treat your animals better than you do the people that come to your church. You treat your animals better than this woman. So my theory, my take on this is that she was not only crippled by physicality, but she was crippled by misogyny. And what's misogyny? It's a cultural attitude of hatred of females because they are females. Maso, it's a Greek word, maso, hatred, geni, women, hatred of women. And there's a sociologist named Michael Flood. He goes to the University of Wollongong, and he says that most common, though most common in men, misogyny also exists and is practiced by women against other women or even themselves. And misogyny functions as an ideology or a belief system that continues to place women in subordinate situations and limits their access to power and decision-making. So even though today we think we've progressed so much, right? So we have women who are in, powers of, in, in positions of power. Their power gets limited in very subtle, unconscious, misogynistic ways. Kate Mann is a Cornell philosophy professor and author of Down Girl, Logic of Misogyny. And she puts a finer point on this definition. Instead of male hostility toward women in general, it's about controlling and punishing women who challenge male dominance. It then rewards women who reinforce the status quo. Margaret Johnson, professor of ancient history, University of Newcastle, talks about how the hostility toward women shows up in Western civilization's mythic history. So you remember the original myth of Pandora? It's a tale of the fall of innocence, the hardships of mortal existence, and the fear of women. Before Pandora was made, the earth was paradise, populated by men who lived free from hardship and enjoyed company with the gods. All men. But then Prometheus disobeyed Zeus 
one time too often. He gave fire to mankind. And the supreme God punished both him and the mortals complicit in his act. So Prometheus was chained to a, a rock while a giant eagle plucked at his liver. And the men were given women as punishment. That's right. That's the story. Pandora was a trap. Gorgeous on the outside, evil on the inside, and she marked the end of paradise. And in her curiosity, Pandora could not resist opening that box that was entrusted to her, releasing all the sorrows of the human condition. Except for hope. Hope left trapped in the box. The Greek term came about, oh, right around the 17th century. And in spite of the strides that we've made in Western culture to gain status for women, misogyny is still with us. It is one of the crippling burdens throughout history that echoes in today's politics. It's a source of hatred behind domestic violence, mass shooters of the young involuntary celibates, and even some pro-life agendas. Now, I've had a whole section that I cut out of this sermon because it was too long <laughs> about pro-life agendas, but I just want you to look it up. Look at the history of the pro-life movement and decide for yourself whether this is about human life or controlling women. Although violence against intimate partners can be both men and women, the predominant offense is against women. So I wanted to tell you a story about Tessa. How many of you know about Tessa? Okay, so Sherilyn Boyles was the executive. She's now moved on. Um, she got called to a, another job, big job. And um, 2018, she, was, she headed up the Champions for Change Summit. So I was there with a bunch of other people from our community. And it was a huge success. The question asked was, what is it in our climate, in our society, that we can affect to reduce the violence? What can we do to, to, to change this? Can we prevent it? Can we? Instead of asking why the victim doesn't leave, we should ask, why does the offender abuse? So out of the summit came the No Excuse for Abuse Task Force which pulled together all sectors of public officials and law enforcement and youth outreach, faith community, and business leaders. They examined tragedies to learn from them and created a local board on domestic violence. And you may have seen the public service announcement that came out of that. <clears throat> it's not okay. So you see, I, I thought about playing it, but you can't see it very well. And it, so you see a little girl... She says, it's not okay to make children feel unsafe in their own home. It's not okay to humiliate your wife at a party as a way of controlling her. It's not okay to get angry with her just because she talked to another guy. It's not okay to push your partner or call him names. It's not okay to punch a hole in the wall to show your wife who's boss. It's not okay to force her to have sex and then say she asked for it. It's not okay to make all the financial decisions if your partner wants to be involved. It's not okay to decide whether your girlfriend can spend time with her family. It's not okay to threaten or hurt yourself so she does what you want. It's not okay to just say it 
It just happens in other homes or other neighborhoods because it happens everywhere. It happens here. It's happened in my life. It's happened in many of yours. It's not okay the Colorado Springs Police Department responds to 40 domestic violence calls a day. 40 a day. In the last five years, there were over 40 homicides related to domestic violence. Domestic violence is never okay. But it is okay to ask for help. That's the commercial. The Jesuit priest and activist John Deere writes a book. It's called The Seeds of Nonviolence about Christian feminism as a paradigm for peace. He reminds us that women were the only followers who remained faithful to Jesus throughout his whole lifetime, right up to the crucifixion and beyond. And given the culture of the evangelists at that time to go to such great lengths to prove this point in Scripture, like even including this particular story of being healed on the Sabbath, this woman being healed on the Sabbath. The male disciples never really grasped the mind of Christ, while the female disciples were already anticipating his death and burial. The women stood by Jesus at the cross. The women went to the tomb on the first day of the week. The women were the first to see the risen Jesus. Mary Magdalene was sent to tell the men about the resurrection. Go tell your brothers, the risen Christ had told her, that I will meet them in Galilee. And even in the resurrection, Jesus challenged sexism. As many female theologians have noted that men today like Peter and other male disciples still refuse to hear the good news that Christ is risen and patriarchy is over. John Deere continues, over the years, I've found it very difficult to speak about justice and peace in a world with such glaring injustices thrive in my own church. It has long boggled my mind how Roman church officials can justify the exclusion of women from public ministries in the church. Women were disciples of Jesus. The New Testament confirms that women were deacons. Women were treated as equals by Jesus. They were leaders. Unfortunately, over time, men took control and patriarchy was cemented into the church structure. Deere also claims that the term feminism is commonly misunderstood. He says, men are reluctant to end patriarchy and share leadership with women because men fear that women will then take control and dominate them. Men fear that women will treat them as men have treated women down through the ages. But true feminism does not mean a matriarchy of violent retaliation. Christian feminism is the practice of equality between women and men as Christ envisioned. Feminism invites us into the gospel truth that we are already one, already reconciled by God. Feminism insists that we are all one human family. If we want peace and justice, we must begin with the oppression right in front of us. And he's convinced that this peace movement must be feminist at its roots and in its mission, or it will have nothing to offer. Christian feminism, in his book, is a paradigm of peace. 
Violence continues to rage against women everywhere. And meanwhile, women make up the majority of the poor of the world. Most of the 50,000 human beings who will die today of starvation are women and children. Poverty is a woman's issue, and it is a result of patriarchy and sexism fueled by misogyny. We come to church burdened by the news that the Amazon forest, the lungs of the world, is burning. We're burdened that national security around the world turns away displaced people made up of women and children. We are burdened that unarmed black men continue to be shot by the police. We are burdened by the misogyny of young male mass shooters. We are burdened by increasing domestic violence. And burdened, we come to church and we are bent over from the strain. And we get used to looking at our feet and noticing the ground. Are we becoming adjusted? to this new normal of violence, it's much easier to look down than it is to see the pain in someone else's eyes. Jesus shows up at church, but we don't even notice because we're looking down. And we don't even ask for healing anymore. But Jesus sees us, even if we don't see him. It's not okay that you are bent over and you haven't seen the sky in 18 years. It's not okay that you can't praise God with a true, true joy of life. And so he touches us from the music of the hymns, the words of a prayer, an image in a sermon. He touches us and something is released. This is not the way God intended life to be. This is not what I want to get used to. This is not the life I want to live. And we look up and we see the whole church, the body of Christ, willing and ready to walk in compassion with us. Jesus released the church to reach for a more complete and holy way of living for a Sabbath that was full of celebration. And we can celebrate that what has been bound on earth is released by the power of God's compassion as Jesus invites us to walk with him, to walk in compassion through this, this gift of life. Amen.